said as the heart panteth after the water brook so that my soul long after thee O God to understand the fullness of that verse you have to put yourself in the mindset of a heart or a deer that deer needs that water brook for two reasons when he's being chased or hunted the water will cover his scent it will cover who he was what do you think that water does? It covers who we are or who we were. And he's got to have that water to have life. And David's saying, I need you, God, to cover who I am, who I once was, and I need you for life. Aren't you thankful for that water, that well of living water? Amen, amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Turn with me, please, once again, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Last week, I launched out into a teaching on holiness. By the time I'm done, I don't know how many parts that will be divided into, but my desire is to have a, a CD set made available for everyone who wishes to have one, if you want to listen on podcast, that's fine. But uh, I understand that not everyone is able to make it to all of the teachings. But this is just as important as the salvation message. Got to have holiness. Bible says in Hebrews twelve fourteen, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I, not because your preacher is, not because your mama is, because if you're not basing it upon what matters, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, then it doesn't matter. He said, you be holy, for I am holy. There's only one being that we should be trying to be like, and that's Christ. I love all the preachers and the prophets and all of the writers of this book, but every one of them are fallible. Every one of them have flaws. If we're going to be like anybody, we need to look at those red-letter words and be like Christ. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated tonight. This is part two of Some Things Never Change. By way of reminder and recap, I told the story of an old musician showing his young student that an A on a tuning fork is always going to be an A. It'll be an A today, an A next week, an A next year, because there are some things that never change even though everything around them changes, those things never change. Holiness is trying to be erased and redefined by the world. But it doesn't matter what happens around. Holiness is always going to be the heartbeat of God. Be ye holy, for I am holiness. I read this quote today, and I thought it was worth sharing. Holiness breathes in the prophecy. 
thunders in the law, murmurs in the narrative, whispers in the promises, supplicates in the prayers, sparkles in the poetry, responds in the songs, speaks in the types, glows in the imagery, voices in the language, and burns in the spirit of the whole scheme from the Alpha to the Omega, from its beginning to its end. Holiness. Holiness is needed. Holiness required. Holiness offered. Holiness attainable. Holiness a present duty, a present privilege, a present enjoyment is the progress and completeness of its wondrous theme. It is the truth going all over, welling all through revelation, the glorious truth which sparkles and whispers and sings and shouts in all its history and biography and poetry and prophecy and precept and promise and prayer, the great central truth of this entire system is holiness. You can't escape the holiness aspect of living for God. You may turn a blind eye to it, but you can't escape it. You may act like out of sight, out of mind, but I want you to know this, ignorance is not a redeemer. The book of Acts chapter 17 verse 28, the writer says, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Watch this. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What he was saying is there was a day when they didn't have revelation. There was a day when they said, oh God, I didn't know this. And they made images of their own. And, and, and he said God would wink at that ignorance because they didn't have the Holy Ghost to guide them. But he says now God no longer will accept ignorance as a redeemer. But he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because you will not be able to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know. We must have the principle. I'm recapping, okay? The principle and the purpose. We've got to have the what coupled with the why. There was a day when a, a, a preacher could walk to a pulpit and say, you know what? I don't believe we should eat pecans anymore. And people would go, all right, no more pecans the rest of my life. That's just how it was. They took him at his word. He was trying to establish a line. But you can't do that because I'm not saying you can't do that. Today, the generation has changed, and they want to know why. And I want to say this. Why is not always rebellion. It's wanting clarity and understanding. Okay? Now, there, why can be rebellious? But most oftentimes when someone is wanting to know why, it's because they're not questioning the what. They just want to know, can explain this further to me. So we have to have principle and purpose. We have to have the what supported by the why. This is why we do this. Okay? 
So last week we touched on outward adornment. And I do realize I preached almost an hour last week, okay? And I will probably preach an hour tonight, but I took it a little early. I'm giving you a heads up, okay? Thank you, Brother Maurice. We talked about how God created men and women. Men are attracted to what they see visually. Women are attracted to what they feel or hear emotionally. So that's why there are so many more standards concerning outward adornment for a lady. It's a safeguard to protect her and to protect a man. Okay? So ladies, we talked about our clothing. Not our clothing, y'all's clothing. We talked about y'all's clothing. We talked about making sure it was modest and appropriate. Length of sleeve, length of skirt does not mean modest. Because it can look like it was drawn on with a marker. Okay? How tight it is. Some people leave nothing to the imagination when they dress. You have to make sure husbands... Dads, if that's your daughter, you got to look at them when, before they walk at that house and look at them with the eye of a man and ask yourself, is there anything about this attire that could be misconstrued? you got to do that. That's because you love your daughter. You don't have to do that necessarily with a boy, but you got to do it with a girl because every man in here was a boy. You know how boys are wired and how they think. Amen, boys? They ain't going to say amen. I set them up. Talked about the attire of a harlot. If you remember, the attire of a harlot. Harlots dressed a certain way. They painted their face a certain way because they wanted everybody to know when they looked at that person, they wanted to know who they were. I still believe as children of God, when they look at us, they ought to know whose we are. And we don't belong to the world. We belong to the lover of our soul. And it's defined by what we wear on the outside. I talked about, talked about uh, low-cut blouses. I, you just get the CD. I'm going over everything, okay? Make sure, ladies, that your outward appearance is beautiful in the sight of the Lord because we no longer rely upon attracting people's attention, ladies, because we're worried about attracting His attention. He said, I will beautify the meek with salvation. The beauty in God's eyes is your salvation. Okay? Talked about jewelry. And I know I paused on it, but I'm going to unpause on it just for a minute. Okay, listen to me. Brother Greg, I want you to put up Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. Starting at verse 16. Follow along with me. Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion, talking about Israel, are haughty and walk, walk with stretched forth necks and wanting eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. Talking about jewelry and ankle bracelets. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. 
In that day, the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon. The chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs, the headbands, the tablets and the earrings, the rings and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins, the glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink instead of a girl a rent and instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth and burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword and thy mighty in the war and her gates shall lament and mourn and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground. If you look at the picture that he painted of these people, they had become so haughty and gaudy in their apparel and their adornment and their jewelry that God said, I'm going to strip them of everything that became their God. I'm going to strip them of everything that they define themselves by. And so here as a pastor, you have to examine my stance as a Moses of Israel. If you read the story, when God brought them to that mountain, he said, Moses, you better tell them if they touch the mountain, they will die. Don't let them touch the mountain. So it fell upon Moses to establish where the mountain starts. Because you can't define where the mountain starts its ascension. So because he had a heart for the people, if this, if this, if he thought it started here, he was not going to tell them that you can stay here, but don't cross this line. Because he understood that people will always push the boundaries. But because he had a heart for the people, he established a line with plenty of room for error because he knew that they were going to try to cross the line. Cross the, that's what a shepherd does. And, and, and if, if I wanted to, I could say, hey, all right, we could put the line right here, but everybody that would cross it is going to step off into death. A shepherd doesn't do that. A shepherd leaves plenty of room. You see, years ago, the line was drawn way over here that the most pleasing thing to the Lord was no jewelry of any sorts. Can I speak to some elders for a minute? That, that shepherd drew that line and said, you know what? This is the safest place. And over time, people started, well, okay, as long as it's a very simple little thing on your finger, it's okay. It's okay. What they did was they picked the fence up a little bit, and they come right here. Well, then it became, well, you know, it could have stones as long as it's not too gaudy. Let's pick that fence up a little bit more. We're going to put it right here. Then it became, well, this is a wedding ring. Well, this is an engagement ring. We'll pick that fence up a little bit more. Pretty soon, now we're looking at the mountain. You following me? And then, if an engagement ring's okay, a promise ring's okay. Then, if a promise ring's okay, a class ring's okay. Then, if a class ring's okay, a friendship ring's okay. And pretty soon, you're out of fingers. And we've done move that fence from the area of safety 
where we know this is right. And we've done moved it so many times. The problem with moving fences is where do you stop? So as a pastor, as a shepherd, it falls upon me to say, you know what? I know where the safe place is. This is a safe place. I'm going to preach the safe place. Now what you do, but this is where i got to draw it because I'm looking out for that mountain. And if you touch the mountain, you die. So maybe last week, some people left without understanding my stance. Let me tell you my stance. I don't perform ring ceremonies. I don't know how to get any plainer than that. All I do is preach where the standard is. I preach where the safe place is. Now, if I want to step in here, I can say, you know what? No more blue shirts, okay? I don't want anybody wearing blue shirts anymore. And people would obey me, but they wouldn't have understanding. They'd have obedience without understanding. They'd have principle without purpose. They'd have the what without the why. So I've got to give you the what. Here's the, here's the safe place. But let me tell you why it's the safe place. It's because when you start moving, where do you stop moving the fence? Where do you stop? And there's people now that... One generation moved a fence, and then the next generation doesn't even know where the fence is. What does the Bible say? Remove not the ancient landmarks. There are things that were established for a reason. Established for a reason. You wouldn't take that very ring and wear it on your ear. You wouldn't take that ring and put it in your nose. You wouldn't hang it around your neck. It shows me that you have a problem with the ring being anywhere other than your finger. Because a man said it can be on your finger. It's the same piece of jewelry. Whether you put it on your ear, your nose, your lip, or any other part of your body, it's the same piece of jewelry. Maybe, maybe that clarifies some things that I left unclarified last week. Amen. It's about the safe place. Men, our conduct defines our holiness. We don't have as many outward standards, but a woman is attracted to what she hears, what she feels. So that's why there's so much in that New Testament about how we behave ourselves as men. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. How we speak to a woman and this is, I'm trying to, I want to clarify something. I stepped in it last night, last week, and I'm hopefully not going to step, step into it again, okay, because I've thought this out. There are times that you will see a not-so-beautiful guy with a beautiful girl, okay? And you sit there and go, how did he end up with her? I'll tell you why. She wasn't attracted to what she saw. He was. She was attracted to what she heard and what she felt. That's how those scenarios happen. Or they have a lot of money. One of those two. And maybe they're 80 and she's 40. Then it's just a matter of the waiting game. That's why, men, you have someone. I mean, I've known people that beat the dog snot out of, of a woman, and she just kept on going back to them. 
because they were on this roller coaster. Hated him one day, but then he'd start talking to her, sweet talker, and she'd just run right back to him because she was attracted to what she heard and what she felt. Okay? So Paul, in his writings, talks to men about you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. For it. That's why he says if a man will provide for his own house, he's worse than an infidel or an atheist. It's because our holiness is not measured necessarily by outward, but by our conduct and by inward. Amen. So let's move on tonight. That was a recap. Let's move on tonight. Matthew 23, Brother Greg, if you could put it up there, verse 25. Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He was talking to the religious upper echelon of that day who were so worried about being seen by men. They were worried about outward adornment. They had the robes. They had everything like it needed to be. And Jesus called their hand and said, you may look like you got it together on the outside. Your problem is not outward. It's inward. Scripture is very straightforward about the need for consecrated living. However, the majority of the people can't face the thought of living without all their worldly attractions, convincing themselves that living with mixture is acceptable unto the Lord. Look at the level of the church's consecration today compared to 50 years ago. Now, we want to talk about the revivals they had 50 years ago, but we don't want to consecrate like they did 50 years ago. So when we want God to do something miraculous and something great, but we don't want to do what they did, what they did back then to get it. Now you say, well, the world's changed. The world has changed, but you got the same amount of time in a day. You got the same gospel being preached. That hadn't changed. Songs have changed. Methods have changed. But everything around has got us so stirred and desensitized. Listen to this. One man once said, I've looked for the church and found it in the world. I looked for the world and I found it in the church. The goal of the enemy is to deceive people into thinking that they can please God with a divided heart. And people are deceived when their desire for the world exceeds their desire for truth. A church that is open to worldliness will be open to deception. There's a reason that John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I let it be known far and wide at Wallace Ridge that anybody can come to this church. The Bible says, whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. You can come as you are, but you should not 
stay as you are. There's got to be something happen deep on the inside that begins to change you as you push the world out and God takes over. Put Hosea 7 and 8. Very short verse. But listen how powerful it is. Hosea 7 and 8. That's in the Old Testament. He's not flipping anyway. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. He got messed up, mixed up, and he was affected by the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. See, in those days, they had these cakes, and they would put them in the embers of the fire, and every 10 minutes or so, they would turn the cake, and they'd flip the cake, they'd cook the cake. It's the same when the angel went and visited the prophet by the brook. There was a cake on the coals. If you read the scripture, it said there was a cake on the coals and a cruise of water. That, that meant there was a cake that had been cooked in the coals. And he said, Ephraim, you're like a cake that's only been cooked on one side. You didn't fulfill your purpose. There's peril in a partial product. I wasted a good message right there. And this is what the Bible says in the last days, that there will be people that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're just like Ephraim. They have mixed themselves among the people, and they're like a cake that's not turned. On the outside, on one side, you look at them and everything's good. They got the dress down. They got the attire down. They got the clap. They got the running the aisles, the hand waving, the sink. They got it on one side. They got it. But that's not the side that's going to make a miss out on heaven. It's the other side of the cake that didn't turn. It's the inward man that Jesus said, your problem is that you're so focused on trying to appear righteous before men that you're not righteous before God. They want the approval of men instead of the approval of heaven. You see, we're in that day and age where they've allowed the world to mix in with them. They've allowed the world to start mingling in with them. Let me tell you something, young people. If you ought to try to be like anybody, it ought not be anybody in the world. If you want to make role models, make people in the church that's your role models. Make Christ your role model. But don't get your fashion from the world. Don't get your speech from the world. Don't get any part of your life from the world because it's going to take over your life and it's going to be like a cake half turned. Jesus said in Matthew 6, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This right here, the eye, is the gate of the soul. It's right here. You know how you get wicked on the inside? It's got to come through the eye, through the ear. It's got to come in. 
Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimension. What he's saying is once something comes in, your, your mind is forever altered by what you saw, what you heard. If you understood how powerful the brain is and the mind, it's more powerful than any computer ever invented by man. You can categorize. Things are stored away when you were a kid that affect your emotions and affect your psyche and affect every part of your life 30 and 40 years down the road because it came in through the eye. Slowly, the enemy, watch this, the eye, the eye, slowly the enemy has stimulated humanity. How did he do it? The one-eyed devil. What is the gateway to the soul? The eye. And so years ago, a television was introduced. Everybody loved that television in the world. In fact, let me show you how much power it has over a family. You ready? You actually situate your entire furniture around it. It's got that much power. You situate your entire living room around one screen and you give it your undivided attention as a family. That's how powerful it is. In fact, you let that thing say words in your home that you wouldn't say yourself. You let that word show things that you wouldn't want to watch anywhere else, but you'll you let it in your home. It'll show things. I'm not saying you. I'm talking about humanity, okay? And at first it was black and white. Then it got color. And, and, and they took a stance that said, no television. And that was a line that they felt that they needed to be drawn. And I agree with that line. But the problem is, at the time, the only thing to fight was a television. But as long as you keep dying on that hill of no television, now you'll ignore a phone, You'll ignore an iPad. You'll ignore a computer because you're still fighting the television. All right? Go, hang with me, church. It's not a device issue. It's a heart issue. You've got to have the principle. And you've got to have the purpose. You see, the MTV generation that started in 1982 is now the ones that's getting in Congress. That's now the ones in leadership positions. And they become desensitized. One director of a horror film, watch this, said this. Spirit, a screen is a portal for the spirit world. That's what he said. I wasn't a Christian. That was a director of a horror movie. Said screens are portals for the spirit world. If our holiness is based upon not watching TV, then we can watch any other mobile device and we'll be fine talking about the what is more than just a device issue. Hollywood is part of the problem, but Hollywood's not the whole problem. And, and, and humanity is going to find loopholes. I know people that have said, oh, no, I ain't got cable. I ain't got cable. They had satellite. They weren't lying. They didn't have cable. They had satellite. Because it's, it's pushing against that fence pushing against that fence. We want to be right over here and check all the boxes, but we still want to be able to enjoy what we want to enjoy over here. 
Okay, we can't preach. There's going to be so many devices come out that you can't preach against everything. But if you preach the principle, so what is the principle? David said this, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. So he's saying my conduct, I'm going to behave myself wisely. But then he said this, here's the principle. I will not, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It should not cleave to me. So if you, if you govern yourself by the principle and the purpose, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes that it'll apply to a TV. It'll apply to a phone. It'll apply to an iPad. It'll apply to a computer. It'll apply to a magazine or a book. Because I'm not living by a device. I'm living by a principle that says I'm not going to set any wicked thing before my eyes. If all we did was preach against Hollywood, you know, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube that don't come from Hollywood. That's just as bad, if not worse. Okay? Some of you are like, YouTube, what? You what? If you're under 50 or 60, you might know what it is, okay? But there's things online. People can put their own content online, and it's full of vile filth that doesn't come from Hollywood. So if I just say, we can't watch anything that comes from Hollywood, oh, Okay, let me go watch all this stuff over here that don't come from Hollywood. You're missing it. You're missing it. It's about I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. The enemy of your soul is not dumb. He's planned his work and is now working his plan. Yes, the TV is a major influence, but we're living in a day when TV is mild compared to other screens. How many people do you know that's been divorced over a TV? might have broke a TV. <laughs> but how many people do you know that have been divorced over a other screen, a computer, a phone, an iPad? Because the TV is real big. It's out in the middle of the living room. Everybody sees it for the most part. And I can take that phone or that iPad. I can go in private somewhere. And while technology is good, it's enabled people to sin in private. It's affected holiness. Talking to good people. Young people, don't raise your hand. I'm giving you a heads up. Unless you feel convicted, then get to the altar. But parents, from the front row to about that fifth row, fourth or fifth row, it would blow your mind what they've already been exposed to beginning at 12 years old. Blow your mind. They weren't exposed over a TV. You know where they were exposed? Internet. Internet. It's a great thing. It could be used for great things. We're able to use our live stream. But it's also brought so many people down. You see... I want to take a moment. We've allowed screens to change society. So much is happening right under our nose, and it's not for the good. I want to say this. First, children are not born with a desire for media. They're taught that. They don't know what a screen is. They don't know what a TV is. They're taught that. They're born with a desire for milk and food. 
and sleep and love. Everything else they're taught. And so they have been taught to desire and crave media. Here's a few of the effects of media that I read. Number one, it glazes them. You can watch a kid been sitting there like this. They're just, in the, they're just glazed. Nothing's there. One statistic says that the average child watches 30 to 35 hours per week in front of a screen. When you're in a, front of a screen, you don't blink as much. Watch it. I've watched people sitting in front of screens, and they're like this. They may not blink for two to three minutes. Eyes dried out. Need visine. In 2000, Microsoft Canada reported that an average human had an attention span of 12 seconds. By 2013, that number has fallen to eight seconds. According to Microsoft, a goldfish, by comparison, has an average attention span of nine seconds. 2013 was eight seconds. 2021, if I had to guess, it's probably down to five to six seconds. Let me say this. 50 years ago, you couldn't count on one hand the people that had ADHD in the United States. But screens have changed society. And now if a boy wants to be a boy, he's got ADHD. No, he's a boy. He's a boy. So let's give him all medicine. No. Do you realize that Oh, goodness, I'm going to fix it. The, the word pharmaceutical and pharmacy, the word pharma in the Greek is witchcraft. Witchcraft in the Greek is pharma, pharmaceuticals, pharmacy. And medicine and the abuse of medicine is the spirit of witchcraft. I'm not saying you don't take, your, you know, don't take medicine, but now we're in an age where it's so prevalent. Kids want to need to be kids. Fifty years ago, they didn't have a screen. They went and played outside. They spent all their energy took a bath, ate, and went to bed. Now, they got so much energy because the only thing they wear out is their thumbs. They're going to have arthritis in their thumbs. They expend zero energy. I'm not preaching against gamers, okay? But you look at people right now. Oh, Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. If I, was, if I was a young lady looking for a, uh, for, for a guy to marry, I would not be looking for a gamer that all he did was sit in his room and do this. Okay, I don't, that's not on the top 100 of qualifications for a husband, ladies. It's changed how they think. It's changed how they treat people. When, when you feel young people, if you play, I don't even know what games are popular, okay? It was Donkey Kong when I was a kid or Mario. I, I don't know nothing about all this stuff today. But when you fill your mind with nothing but violence, you can't tell me it does not mess with you. You look at the two kids however many years ago in Columbine. They, they, all, they were addicted to those type of killing games, and they acted out what they looked at. Okay? It's not a gun problem. Okay, that's like saying the problem is the pencil. Well, the reason I failed is because of my pencil. No. You got, it's a mind problem. It's a mind problem. So it glazes them. Then it hazes them. See, the world is trying to blur the lines between right and wrong. 
They're trying to create. There's no black and white. We're just going to make this big haze. Moral relativism is so prevalent in our colleges which says you define what's right and wrong. There is no absolute standard by whereby you measure right and wrong. You define. Well, the Bible says every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. You can justify why you do everything. That doesn't mean it's right. Just because you're right in your mind doesn't mean it's right. And so the world is creating this haze. So as kids, they're, they're coming up in this fog and they're going, well, no, we don't need to get mad at this and we don't need to do this because let's just love everybody. That's a bunch of mess. Yeah, we love everybody. But right is right. Wrong is wrong. And it don't matter what you say about it. It's how it is. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah 5 and 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The world is going to feel the wrath of God because they're trying to redefine and change the moral absolutes that were established in this book. Okay? Just because a man wakes up one day and says, I think I want to be a woman does not mean he's a woman. There is one thing that makes a man, and it is a one chromosome, okay? And you can't change chromosomes. You can change anatomy, but you cannot change chromosomes. So they can think and act, whatever they want to do, but that does not make them a woman, okay? Amen. Then, third thing is, it raises them. So here's what it does. It glazes them. It hazes them, and it raises them. We now have a selfish generation. I'm talking about at large, okay? I'm not talking about the church. If it fits, it fits. We have a selfish generation that view children as an inconvenience to their lifestyle rather than an asset to their family. I've heard people say, well, I don't want to have kids because I can't do what I want to do anymore. Okay? Yeah, kids change. Kids change the dynamics of everything. That's how God designed it. It's called growing up. Imagine that. So what happens is because they don't want those kids to inconvenience them, they'll try to do anything to appease them. If that means throwing a screen their way just to get them to be quiet, all right, go ahead, just leave me alone. And so that it raises that child. So we let the screen teach them instead of us teach them. Is it any wonder that we now have a generation that reflects the values of the world instead of the values of Christ? I'm teaching about inward holiness, everything that comes through the eyes, and I'm watching the time. I've got 15 minutes before I become a liar. <laughs> Amen. I'm just joking, okay? Four of the 12 ways that I read, I read 12 ways that phones are changing because I'm going to give you four Four ways that stood out to me. Number one, we ignore flesh and blood. Mom and daddy, when you give your device more time than your child, something's backwards. Something's wrong. That's not, that's not how God intended it. Secondly, we crave immediate approval. We crave immediate approval. Everybody's getting so offended these days. Everybody's offended over everything. And if you don't, I don't understand all this, so if I botch this young people, forgive me, because I don't know about all this. 
if you don't follow somebody or have them follow you or you don't get your photo liked or whatever, it messes with people's mind. Now, here's how I, here's how I work. This is my small brain, big explosion. Okay, Why would you follow somebody that you don't know? In real life, you wouldn't just go up to a stranger and want to know all about them. Like, you don't do that kind of thing in real life. But you can do it in social media, and it's okay. Because we gauge, people gauge themselves by how many followers they have. How many hearts they have. How many likes. And so, they, they want to post a picture if this is how it works, and then the next morning they want to get up and see how many people liked it or hearted it or whatever they did to it. And so we crave immediate approval. Thirdly, this is a big one, we're losing our literacy because people don't have to talk no more. They don't have to spell no more. But somehow they make it through high school. I don't know how that happens if they can't type, they can't spell. It's changed everything. But here's the other thing. People get comfortable in their secret vices. They get comfortable. I'm, I'm hurrying. If it makes you feel any better, I've got three pages. Let's not just talk about media. It applies to what we read. If you saturate your mind with romance novels, I don't care if it's real or not. If you saturate your mind with it and, 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 and it's painting a picture in your mind, it can affect you. What you listen to, young people, can affect you. I don't listen to music. Every now and then, my girls will get in and they want to listen to all these different gospel songs and, and I got about a three-minute window to listen to it, okay? I listen to preaching or silence. That's it. But you start putting in country music, rap music, that's still a popular. I don't even know if that's popular. It might be popular in your life. I don't know. If you start putting in rock and roll music or pop music, let me show you how this works. You look at all the major singers, major actors, people that over the past 20 or 30 years have been pushed so hard in people's eyes. And now, through social media, they all have a unified front and their agenda is totally contradictory to this book. And this, the enemy is using all the popular people in the world to push his agenda. Can't you see the handwriting on the wall? Can't you see how he's unfolded it over the past 30 years? It's no wonder. In fact, Parents, if you hadn't read it yet, I'll name her. I don't care. There was a popular child star named Jojo Siwa that just this week, after gathering millions of kids following, stepped out as LGBTQT whatever. Look how many people, how many kids are looking up to her. I told my wife, you purge any, I don't care if it's a hair bow. 
If it's got any Jojo Siwa on it, it goes. I don't want that junk in my house. I don't care if she even knows who I am or if she, if she endorsed it, I don't want it. But that's how the enemy works. Get them while they're young. Millions of kids look up to her. And all of a sudden, now she's 17 and she steps to the forefront and says, look at this. And all them kids are going, well, Jojo Siwa. Amen. Social media. And I'm not, I can't spend all my time on this. Number one, if you don't have common sense, you shouldn't be allowed to have it. That's my number one feeling on it. <laughs> Facebook has proven itself as just a tool of the enemy. Just a tool of the enemy. If you're going to have to, if you just say, I can't live without Facebook, I mean, that's up to you. I can live without it. That's up to you. If you've got to have it, you ought to thoroughly purge whoever is on your friend list, however that works. Just go through and clean house. Let me give you a scripture. Okay? Proverbs 13 and 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know what that scripture says? Be careful who you link yourself up with. Here's why there's so many problems with social media. Because everybody's in your life for a reason and for a season. Some people will be with you through your whole life. But some people, God has to remove from your life for a divine reason that he doesn't have to tell you. And here's the danger with social media. You start trying to put back into your life people that God took out of your life. And God took them out for a reason. And you're trying to bring them back in. That's why you have people that are hooking up with people they dated in high school having affairs, leaving their families because God took that person out. But 25 years later, they said, no. They saw him on Facebook and said, I think I need them back in my life. And families are destroyed. I want to say this. There's nothing, nothing private on the Internet. Zero. You do it on media, it can be tracked, it can be traced, and it will be held against you. There are some things that you've got to leave under the blood and you don't put them for the public to see. You don't drag up stuff and try to rehash stuff. So when you start linking up with people that God took out of your life, don't go crying to God about things going south when God's saying, hey, I didn't want them in here to begin with. I took them out 20 years ago. Instagram, thank you, Brother Dakota. Instagram is owned by Facebook. That'll, that'll tell you the two, okay? Now, I'm going to say this, and I mean this. I'm going to gently, sternly encourage, put as much sugar and salt at the same time on what I'm fixing to say. 
Snapchat is of the devil. Okay? Now, parents, you take that one line right there. Snapchat is of the devil. And you let that reverberate in your mind when your child asks you if they can have a Snapchat. My kids don't have Snapchat. They don't have Facebook. And they have Instagram, but it's closely monitored. My, my wife does surprise phone checks. Because if you're living in my house, you don't have privacy. I interrupt the privacy. It's because I love them. It's because I love them. They don't have Snapchat. You know what's caused so many problems in youth groups? Take a guess. Snapchat. Because as soon as a picture, you open a picture, it erases. And so they can do anything they want to do. Anything they want to do. I don't want people having Snapchat. Okay? I don't know how, how much more blunt I can say that it is of the devil. It's of the devil. I'm just a pastor tonight standing between you and a mountain. Because I love you, I'm trying to show you where the safe places are. Stand with me right now. I want, I want our musicians, I want them to sing that song in just a minute. I'm not done yet, but give them hope. That I want to be holy, y'all sang last week. Here, I want to close with this, okay? I've heard people say, well, I don't struggle with this. Well, that person may. Well, I don't have to do this, and I don't understand this. I've heard, I mean, I was raised in this. I've heard this all. Brother Greg, I want you to put up 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 4. We're going to walk through this in closing real quick. Paul says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but follow along. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for him we exist. One Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through him we exist. Watch this. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let me break it down to where we're living. I'm going to use one example. Okay. 
you may not have a problem with eating at a casino. But if someone who has been delivered from a lifestyle of gambling sees you eating at the casino, they may think they are strong enough to do the same thing. But by doing so, they fall back into the lifestyle God delivered them from. Therefore, because I don't want to be a stumbling block to my brother in the Lord, I will refrain from eating at a casino. I may be strong enough to walk in that, eat that crab claw on that steak, and walk out. And it never fazed me. But it's not about me. Because there's another brother who's probably been pulled from that lifestyle. And if he hears and catches wind that I've been at that casino eating, and he goes, I think I'm going to go try it. That one trip, he can walk in there and see those lights and fall right back from the life God delivered him. So Paul said, if it's going to be a stumbling block, you may be able to handle it. But it's about your brother in the Lord. Therefore, I won't do it. There are some things it's not about can you handle, but how much do you love the person who can't handle? There are some things that we don't do as a church as a body of Christ, because we love the body. We love our brothers and sisters. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody who is trying to make effort and grow in the Lord. Does that make sense? Amen. I want us to come, if you're comfortable doing so, I want us to come and sing this to the Lord.